Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the, Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that, to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians and with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. 
Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Amen. Thank you. So guys, this is, this is one, uh, next week we're going to do Exodus 4, which is kind of the second part of this. This is, a, this is an incredibly important and significant part of the Old Testament, the Bible it's as, as a whole, and the story of Moses and just the whole thing. This is where the burning bush scene is. This is uh, where God names himself for Moses. There's so many incredibly important things to address in this, and we're going to address some of them today, and then we're going to pick back up next week and kind of readdress them, because this kind of cuts off halfway a conversation that Moses has with God about this whole situation. And as we're looking at Exodus as a story, this is an important turning point. And that's basically what I want to focus on today, is this is Moses has an encounter with the Almighty God. It's not the last one that he's ever had, or that he ever has, but it's the first one that they have in this book where God comes face to face, you know, Moses comes face to face with God, and he's in the form or hidden by a burning bush that's not burning up. And this is what I want to say to each and every one of you, if you're hearing me, this is the one thing that you need to take away from this, is that you need to have an encounter with God. And I, what I mean by that isn't try harder, because you can't try harder to have that. Because like Moses, this is an interesting thing. So Moses grew up, like we saw, and he, he gets saved from this, this, this Holocaust situation, and he's now raised up as an Egyptian prince. He's like a big deal, kind of like how Joseph was. I mean, he's you know in the kind of Egyptian royal family, but then he ends up kind of, he kills a guy and has to run away. So he goes from being super kind of big time important, you know, like the Pharaoh's like his grandfather or something, you know, and he's or the adoptive grandfather, whatever. He's a big deal now. Now he's a nobody running away, and he becomes a shepherd, which is interesting because the Hebrew people have been shepherds for, you know, a while, and you even see that in the story of Joseph, but, like, shepherds are really looked down on by Egyptian people. So Moses, as he's straddling these two cultures, in every way probably that he could feel, like, we, like we're so in touch with our feelings, you know, that he goes from being a big deal to uh, not a big deal. And the funny thing, is, oh, it's not funny, but, like, then he encounters God and everything starts to change. And he, it's not like Moses fundamentally changes on the inside. Like Moses was trying to deliver people from the beginning. You could see the story we talked about last week. He sees a guy oppressing a guy, and he stops him, but he ends up just killing the guy. And then he sees the, the shepherds coming and chasing away the girls that are trying to water you know, his, his now father-in-law's you know, animals or whatever. And he chases them off. Like, this is a deliverer-type guy. So God's not saying, like, you need to stop being that and be something else. He's saying, like, you are the guy I want to do this thing. This encounter changes his whole life. But we all have to have an encounter with God, not because I said so or because it's, you know, <laughs> it's fundamental to us even understanding who we are. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you encounter God, things start to sort out pretty quick. Things you thought were important don't seem so important anymore. Now, we'll see. Moses has a conversation with God. It's not just like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, but you can see other encounters that people have with God. Joshua later, you know, hey, are you on my side or the other guy's side? Because it's, it's going to be a problem. Like, I don't know. You know, is this good or bad news that you're bringing me? Or you see Paul in the New Testament in the book of Acts going around killing Christian people. And God's like, hey, you need to stop that. And he's like, yeah, who are you? And he's like, I'm that Jesus guy you're persecuting. And he's like, oh, man. You know, like, that's, this is an encounter with God. Other people encounter Jesus. They touch him, and they're healed. Like, actually healed. Their body is different. You have to have something like this. You cannot 
just fake your way through life off somebody else's story. Now, here's the deal. You can't make this happen. Moses went from being a really big deal, probably thought he could take care of things, to now he has no deal. And you see in the book of Acts when Stephen is giving a testimony, the story of the first part we hear about Moses running off or killing the guy and running off, we looked at last year, he was 40 years old. That's how old I am right now. And then it says he went and was a, he got married and had kids and was a shepherd for 40 more years. Is anybody 80 in here? Anyone even close to 80? Okay, well, so here's the deal. We don't, all right, close. All right, so point being that we're, none of us are 80 yet. So none of you are left out. This is not like a young people thing. Like young people need to hear this. Old people need to hear this too. Everything we're going to talk about with Moses basically starts now. Like, if you notice how many chapters are in Exodus, we're on three, and he's 80 years old. So don't start going like, well, I've, you know, I've lived my life and all this kind of talk. That's just, <laughs> what does that even matter, you know? And this is, it's okay that you think things like that, because I think things like that, and Moses thought things like that, and we start to see some of this here. Um, but Moses sees a burst that's burning and it's not being consumed. That's weird. That's God type stuff. And as he walks up, God calls out to him, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy what's going on. And then he realizes what's going on and Moses then catches on. See, this is a funny thing. Like, it lets us know God knows what's going on. God has known the whole time. In Genesis, he says what's going to happen. It starts happening now. God's not surprised by any of this. We're the ones that are surprised. And that's actually awesome. You need to remember the importance and hear what I'm saying here. The importance of surprise in our relationship with God. Okay? If you look at Jesus' encounters with people, I would say way more often than not, their encounters with Jesus are surprise in some form. Sometimes they're surprise bad, and sometimes they're surprise good. Most times they're surprise good. Whatever. You get the point is they're not, not going, this worked out just as I thought it would. There's a handful of people that have that going on. So it's not like off limits. But God surprises us, and we'll get to that in a second when I talk about communion. But Moses is interested in what's going on, and people will be interested. Like when God's doing something, it's interesting because he's God and all. You know what I mean? And when God does something in our lives, it's interesting, and people will be interested in it. And God starts to tell Moses, he's like, hey, look, you know, I see what you saw. You know, like I know that you saw this oppression. I see it too, and I care about it. I want to do something about it. Moses is like, that's great. Like, I'm sure that felt like, yes, I knew that was wrong. That's, yes, that's awesome. And he's like, all right, you go tell the, he's like, whoa, hold on a second. Why am I going to be doing anything? You know, Moses says. And God doesn't go, well, you know, since you're so awesome and stuff. And like I said, we'll get to some of this next week. He does the same sort of thing he says to Gideon. He's like, because I want you to. And because I'm going to be with you. He doesn't say that you're the, you know, you're the most gifted or the most talented or you have the most resources or all these kind of things. And Moses has some of these things. I don't really know. God doesn't even really explain why he chooses. He just says, you're the one. You see a lot of this stuff with Jesus asking his disciples. He's like, why don't you come follow me? Which is just like, why don't you base your whole life on everything I'm about to say to you? Or just come do what I'm doing. This is the kind of invitation that God gives us. And we like to make excuses or all these kind of things. And you'll see, we're going to dig into those things next week. But first one is he just says, who am I to do this? And God's like, nobody but the guy I want. And this, what you should take away from this is this, no one is strong enough to do the kind of work. Like if he'd said, hey, you know what, Moses? Like, And he does get into some of this, but he doesn't get to the full extent you know, of here's the things I want you to just pull off on your own. Go ahead, do that. You know, like we're going to get into this whole like 
parting the waters thing. He's like, you know how to do that, right? You know, and you're like, what are you talking about? You know, like this is God's stuff that God is asking him to do. And so the point is this. When God is moving through you, there's nothing that we can't do if he wants to do it. That doesn't mean like every weird little thing that we think of is something God wants to do. That's not true either. But what God wants to do, God can do. Nothing can stop that. So none of us are powerful enough to do God's work on our own, okay? And he's never asking us to do that. The other side of it is none of us are so insignificant that we can't be used to do anything. That's just how God works. It's like it's kind of like God plus anything is fine, you know? And that's not that, like, logically, I'm not saying anything that's, like, shocking. That should be very obvious if we're talking about any sort of concept of God that's worth talking about. And just to kind of clarify what concept of God we're talking about, he defines it. This is where his name becomes so incredibly significant. Like Moses is like, yeah, but how will I know? Like What's going on in this in the story is God is clarifying to Moses that he is the God, the actual real God, because where Moses grew up, there was all sorts of gods. We talked about some of them last week. They worshiped different gods for different things. There was a god associated with the sun, a god associated with the Nile River. And this is how the world worked in a lot of places back then. Still, some ways it still works now. And we are enlightened, so we don't call our gods things like that, but we just worship things like TV or the Internet or whatever. So, you know, you know <laughs> same old thing. But it was a little clearer back then. So God is making clear to him two things. One, I am the God, like the actual real God that exists, and that I'm the same God that called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's just the, the, we are one and the same, and he's putting those two things together. And he does it by when Moses says, like, who do I tell them sent me? You know, because, I mean, like, this is impressive and all, this fiery thing, but what if I'm wrong? I mean, what, you know, and God tells him his actual name, and God's name doesn't quite fit into words like we like them to. You know, this isn't like God's first name, like Jesus' first name is Jesus and his last name is Christ. That's not how that works. You see what I'm saying? These are like titles and things. And this name, I, so God says to him, I am. And in Hebrew, this is where we get the word. You know, we sing sometimes Yahweh. This is what this is coming from. It's, it's really just spelled out like this. And it carries with so much meaning. And it was almost considered Go back to just the I am slide, because it's almost considered profane to even say that. Like a lot of Jewish people still won't even use that term because they'll use Adonai. You even see this in the Old Testament, where we get the word Lord from, just to avoid saying it, because it's kind of like too close to speak. You know, Moses is taking his shoes off. This is holy ground, and God is saying who he is, so we don't just take that lightly and say that. But what that means is this. More fully, it means I am who I am. And not just like Popeye, like I, knew who, I know who I am. He's not saying that. He's saying, I'll be whatever I'll be, and I'll do whatever I will do, and I don't need your permission. And I also don't need your like, uh, acceptance of it or anything like that. He's saying, I just exist. I am existing. And he's laying out his preeminence, his total difference from all other things. And you can't miss that in this. This isn't God saying like, you know, when you look back at the creation story, well, I needed some friends or something like that. God doesn't need anything in any way that we would understand something like need. He likes, he loves us, and he wants it. The point is that God is so altogether powerful and different than us 
that it becomes difficult to talk about because we only have referential words to things that we understand which don't quite apply to him. You know, like when the Bible talks about God's anger and stuff like that, we usually stick into that human anger or even the worst versions of it, like some sort of abusive anger that we've seen in other people. And that's not what God's talking about. God is different than that. And all of this we'll get down to next week when we talk about the conversation that Moses has with God at this point which deepens this whole purpose of what the rest of Exodus is going to be, the sending to set the people free, which is what God wants to have happen. And Moses says back to God a lot of the same sort of things that we would say. So, Kayla, why don't you come on up here? A lot of the same sort of things that we say to God whenever he speaks to us about doing something that's impossible or even doing something that's possible but doesn't seem like it would do anything. You know what I mean? That happens quite a bit. But God says, I am. I am who I am. I'll be who I'll be. And I'll do whatever I want to do. And I'm not asking permission. And I don't even really need you to like it. And that, that's enough to qualify him as being something that you could conceive of as God. Meaning like an all-powerful creator person that we should fear and stay away from. That would get you there. you know. But what you also see in this story is he's telling Moses... Here's what I want you to do. I see the suffering of these people, and I care about it. And when you have somebody that's so infinite like God is, his ability to care about injustice so outweighs our very small ability to care. And we care a lot. How many of you care a lot about things? How many of you care a lot about bad things? How many of you care a lot about the kind of bad things you see in the world like we were just praying about? And how many of you care a lot about the bad things you think about yourself? All of these things, they're kind of just pieces of the same human puzzle. The point is, God can care and does care way more than we have a capacity to. And so not only is God infinitely powerful, all-knowing, all of the other things, omnipotent, omnipresent, omni-whatever, you know, He's also all good and all loving. And you see this, Jesus, when he comes as a man, which is a crazy story, because we're talking about this, thanks, we're talking about this God that uh, um, is so altogether powerful and different and separate and all these sorts of things, decides the way I'm going to save humanity is to come as one of the people myself and live among them and do things for them that they can't do themselves. And by doing that, free them from the place that they've put themselves in, the curse of sin and death, and give them the life I have eternally, and we can be with them together forever. And Jesus knew he was doing this when Jesus came. Because when he's questioned, you might remember we went through John and John um, 8, 58. They're trying to figure the guy out because like they're surprised by him. Like, you, you seem like you talk like the Messiah that we were expecting, but you're not doing a lot of the things I thought you might do. And there was a lot of these conversations they kept having. They kept being like, you know, and one of them like, aren't we right in assuming you're demon-possessed? And he's like, no, like, you're not right about that. But you see that Jesus in this point, because they're saying like, well, what right do you have to say these things, and who do you think you are? Jesus says very clearly back to them, and if you look at the paper Bible we just gave you, I promise, when he says these words, they're capitalized. And in English, they capitalize them on purpose because they know what he's saying. He's not saying, um, I know who I am. 
He's saying, Jesus answered to tell you the truth before Abraham was even born, I am. He is saying, me standing here, not me, Jesus is saying, him standing right there then is the all-powerful, all-eternal God in human form, which is a crazy, crazy idea and a crazy story. But this event in human history changes every single thing that will ever exist. And Jesus left us with this picture to remember the night before he was crucified, Jesus took bread with his disciples and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. And he broke it and he gave it to them to eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then he gave it to them to drink. And so this is the thing about communion, guys. All of this, the story we're talking about, human life, all the things we struggle with that God cares about, they're kind of, Jesus told us to do this to remember him. And remember what he's doing. He's like, what do you want us to, like, remembering? You know, like, just, the, oh, yeah, God, Jesus, yeah, I, I remember that. But he's, he's not saying just remember that. He's saying remember everything because I care about everything. Because God being all powerful and all, and like in this story, in a, in a bush that's not burning but on fire, he can kind of do stuff. He could have, the night before he died, taken something that just exists, like water or something like that. And he could have taken something else that maybe just exists or exists by, by its own nature, like some sort of, or maybe like this. He could have just taken grapes, okay? You can say grapes is the source for this. They just exist in nature. They're grapes. And I could take some sort of wheat or something and give you these pieces of things and say, this is my body. And it's but that doesn't carry within anything of any sort of human involvement. Do you see? Just the fact that these are things people make, God is saying, remember everything. Because I remember everything. And I'm embodying everything. And you can't just have it. It doesn't just exist. It exists because I wanted it to be there. And I want you to take it and eat it because it's eternal life. And so I want to invite four youth. Come on up here. Four. Yeah, come on. I need two more. Dos mas. All right, come on. I'm going to get this. You guys are going to serve. This is... We're going to serve this to everybody who wants. The way this works, we call it intinction, where you take a piece of the bread out and you dip it in the cup and then you eat it. You guys go over there. You guys go over there and serve it to each other. At the end. And we're going to close the service. I'm going to close this now. I'm going to pray. This is going to be the last thing I say. And then I'm going to invite all of you that want to come take part in the life that Jesus offers to come take his body and his blood and eat it. The, also, the eating of it, it becomes part of you. Do you understand this? This is why he's left us with this picture. And then the prayer teams are going to be available by the, the doors, and we're done. Okay? And you stay as long as you need to stay. If you, need to, if you want to have a conversation, either do it quietly or take it outside because we want this to stay a place of worship. And I'm going to pray. So, Father, we pray that you would fill this place with an understanding of who you are, your embodied presence in Jesus. And we pray that we would each be able to have the pleasure of an encounter with you, Holy God, that you would make yourself known to us, and not in our way when necessarily we're expecting it, 
but maybe even when we're least expecting it and just going about our daily lives feeling like a failure, maybe. But that you would encounter each and every one of us with the power of your presence and that we would understand who we are and who you've made us to be. And that we would understand that you are ultimately powerful, but ultimately good and ultimately loving. And Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us as we come and take of your body and blood. And we pray that you would bless each and every one of us as we go from this place and as we gather again next week. In Jesus' name, amen. So come forward. Good.
Of the goodness of God. 